0: gracious God, merciful Father, we thank you for your word, your truth, which does march on throughout all time. As we come to your eternal word, open our hearts, our minds, convict us, encourage us, help us to love Christ Jesus and follow him evermore. This I pray in your mercy through Christ Jesus. Amen. So for the past several weeks, we have been focusing on the topic of forgiveness, to forgive. To forgive, or forgiveness, comes from the very nature of God, who He is. Because He is merciful, He forgives. We've taken a look at the cost of forgiveness, the cost of sin, the cost of forgiveness, how God paid that cost by giving us His only Son, who shed his blood for us to make an atonement for our sin. And thus, the first two weeks, we're really focusing on who God is and where forgiveness truly comes from. And then last week, it was a little bit more personal, perhaps, because we went from the Old Testament to the New Testament. We were in Matthew and we were learning that Jesus said we are to forgive others from our heart. Now, I'm not going to ask you for a show of hands, but I'm wondering if you actually did that last week, if that was moving you to forgive another person from your heart. And I know that's difficult because you're going to come up to the point where you don't want to forgive and you're going to have to repent You're going to have to repent of your pride and whatever else is holding you back from being merciful, from forgiving another. So that's been our trajectory for the past couple of weeks. We started off in the Old Testament, God and His merciful nature, and then to you that you are to apply to live as God lives. To be merciful, to have the heart of Christ Jesus. And so today, we're gonna finish up our series on forgive. And I thought it would be appropriate to talk about national forgiveness, because we just had the National Day of Prayer, right? We just had the National Day of Prayer, and everybody's praying for the nation. But you probably didn't hear much prayer about repentance for our nation that our nation needs to repent of the sins and then seek forgiveness. So today we are going to focus on Daniel chapter 9, Daniel's prayer of repentance and forgiveness for the nation of Israel. Now it's a long prayer, right? Jan was reading that. She did an excellent job, by the way. She was worried about that. She did an excellent job. But it's a long prayer, and you might think, wow, do I have to pray that long? But if you actually take a look at the structure of the prayer, the structure of the prayer is actually very simple. There are three parts to this. There's adoration, confession, and then a petition or plea. So all of us can do that. We can give adoration or praise to the Lord. We can confess the sins. And then we can also petition or plea for God to have mercy. So we can do all of that. So we are going to begin first with adoration. And we're going to start with uh, Daniel 9, verse 4. I pray to the Lord my God and make confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. So here's the little bit of context that you should know. By this time in the book of Daniel, Daniel is at least in his late 80s or early 90s. So he's pretty old by then. And he's been reading one of his contemporaries, Jeremiah. Jeremiah and Daniel lived at the same time. And he has been reading what Jeremiah wrote. And when he was very young, Jeremiah said that Israel would be captive to Babylon for 70 years. And now Daniel had read this, and the 70 years was just about up. So Daniel is moved to pray for the nation of Israel, because this, the 70 years is just about done, but Israel still has a lot of problems going on. And so Daniel is moved to prayer because of God's word. First and foremost, he said what Jeremiah wrote, that was God's word. And because he trusted God's word, he was moved to pray. So I think there's a lesson in this. If you want to be moved to greater prayer, immerse yourself in God's word. A lot of people think, well, I I can't pray very well. Well, read God's word and then use the form of God's word as your own prayer. But the more you read his word, the greater you will be spurred to a spiritual depth that will have a a, a substance to your prayers. So Daniel is moved to pray to God, right? And he starts out with adoration or praise. And he uses God's name. He prays to God by his name. See, if you're not praying to God, if you're just throwing out a prayer to the universe, which by the way, that's very endemic of a lot of millennials, they'll just say, hey, toss out some good thoughts to the universe. Well, who are you tossing it out to? No one in particular. You need to use God's name when you pray. You need to know to whom you are praying. So Daniel prays to God, and he says, Lord God, right? He uses the name Lord, and we know that that is Yahweh. It is the name that we talked about that God gave to Moses. And then it is reiterated, and we did that in our first uh, lesson from Exodus, talking about God's name, Yahweh. And then to speak his name, Yahweh, speaks of his whole nature, So Daniel's not holding back here. He's saying, Lord God. Do you remember what the nature of God is from Exodus? You're like, I didn't know there was going to be another quiz. Quit doing that, Pastor. Okay, so for those of you who might not remember, we talked about that the Lord God said of himself, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is one of the most important verses in the Old Testament speaking about the nature of who God is. Daniel knows this. And so he prays to God, the Lord God, steadfast love. He says, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. See, Daniel's adoration is both reverent and confident. It's reverent because he knows who God is, the very nature of God, merciful, slow to anger, steadfast love throughout the generations. And he is confident because he knows that God keeps his covenant even though we don't. So when you give praise to God you can be both reverent and confident. 1 John says this, and this is the confidence we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we 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 know that we have the request that we have asked of him. See, a lot of people lack that power in the prayer because they think they have to have that feeling of passion welling up in them. But really, if you have reverence, deep reverence for God, if you have confidence that He actually does hear you, that He keeps His word all according to His will, your prayer life will grow. Your adoration of God will grow. You can pray like Elijah, as we've talked about a couple times. When we use Jesus' name, so we talk about using the name of God. Now when we use Jesus' name in our prayers, you know to whom you're praying, right? And you know the very nature of Jesus, of His love and His mercy, of the new covenant He made and keeps. So when you're praying to God, to God, When you're praying to Jesus, who is God, right? We're going to do this on Trinity Sunday. But you're praying to Jesus who is merciful, who is gracious, who is patient, who is steadfast, who keeps his word. So you can give praise and adoration to Christ Jesus. Hebrews says, "...let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy." and find grace to help in time of need. So because of Christ Jesus, we come before the very throne of God, right? And we have that confidence because not of our passion, not of our feelings, but because of who Christ Jesus is. This is what Daniel starts with. He starts with adoration. And then he goes to confession. He says in verse 5, We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly, and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. So the first thing I want you to notice here is he says, we have sinned and done wrong. See, in National Day of Prayer, it's really easy to focus on all of those other people who have sinned and done wrong, right? And we want to place blame, but Daniel says, no, all of us, me included, have sinned and done wrong against you. So when we pray for our nation, we include ourselves in all of this. And it makes a difference, by the way, in your prayers when you do that. Then he says, there's like six things that he mentions. First five are on the screen. That we have sinned, done wrong, acted wickedly, rebelled, turned aside from your commandments. So let's talk about sin. Sin doesn't get talked about, doesn't get preached in a lot of churches nowadays because... You don't want to offend anybody, but sin by its own nature is offensive. So let's, let's talk about sin for a moment. Have you ever heard that the literal translation of sin could be missing the mark? Have you ever heard that? So it is true that sin in a literal translation could be said to simply miss the mark. Okay. But, is sin more than simply missing the mark? See, there are things, when you say that sin is simply missing the mark, it kind of downgrades, downplays sin, doesn't it? Like it's not so bad. Like I tried really hard, like in horseshoes, I was close. And you think, ah, it's not so bad. Uh, For me, you know, I have been known to leave the refrigerator door open every once in a while. Heidi's laughing here. Maybe some recent episodes of this. And because of that, you know, food spoiled, uh, food spoiled, and, you know, it was messy. Let's just put it that way. Now, did I miss the mark? I did, didn't I? And sometimes when we think about sin, it's like, all right, well, it wasn't so bad. Yes, it was an inconvenience. We'll have to replace some of the food, or the freezer got all you know, frosted up because of that. This is all real life example, by the way. So, um, but, you, but you think about that and you think, ah, oh, it's not so bad, is it? And when people say, well, sin is simply just missing the mark, they miss the mark. Let me give you an example. Instead of the arrow, you know, on the target there, let's take a bullseye in which you're shooting a gun. Now, let's say that you had to hit the exact bullseye from a mile away. And if you're off by even a little bit, let's, and let's make this even worse. So it's not only a mile away, that all of your loved ones are standing right by the target. As a matter of fact, there is only one small, tiny path. And if you are off even by one one hundredth of an inch, someone dies would you take the shot? You wouldn't, would you? I hope you wouldn't. <laughs> if you would, let me talk, let's talk afterwards, you know? But you wouldn't take the shot because you know the terrible outcome of sin. Now, when you sin, it's actually you shooting at yourself. And even if you're off just a little bit, right? Just a little bit doesn't matter if you're off by a little bit or a lot, you die. That's the gravity of sin. So when he says we have sinned, it has a greater gravity to it than our culture likes to give to this word sin. But now let's move on. He says we have done wrong. Another, I think a better translation might be we have committed iniquity. Now, iniquity also has a sense of twisted, of warped, of being crooked. The picture I have on the screen, by the way, is of uh, some two-by-fours. So we're bl- building the tech platform. Have you ever gone to the lumber store and tried to find a straight piece of wood? It's really hard. I mean, you got to go through all, almost, almost all of the whole rack of wood to find ones that are somewhat straight. The ones that are twisted, the ones that are warped, you don't take. You actually would throw away, wouldn't you? That's a sense of twisted or warped. So one commentator said this. It appears to emphasize the fact that sin is something twisted or perverted. Or that one who sins has veered from the straight and narrow road and made his paths crooked. This is in contrast to righteousness. Righteousness is generally used to have the primary meaning of straightness. Thus, to make one paths crooked from God's righteousness is to sin. The Lord is righteous, straight, and proper. Sin is twisted, crooked, and perverted. Oh, there's that word, right? You can say sin, you can say twisted, but that word perverted now, ooh, when you say that, isn't there like a something? You, I'm, oh, yeah, you can say sin, that's not so bad, right? That's just missing the mark. But if you actually say something is perverted, there's an immediate offense in our culture. And yet this is what sin is. It is perverted from God's word, twisted, crooked, crooked. Off from his will. You see, Daniel's prayer has a little bit more depth to it than we would give. The next one is wickedness, which is moral corruption, rebellion, which is outright rejection of divine rule. Now, I love little kids. How many of you, it's Mother's Day, right? (laughs) How many of you have had to deal with the terrible twos and threes? Is there outright rebellion? Oh, there is, isn't there? There's one comic we we like, Jeff Allen, and he says, yeah, we named our children with biblical names. Uh, There was Joshua, Esther, and then we were thinking about the name of the third Satan. (laughs) You know, it was like, wow! And when you got a terrible two or three... They will do everything, like a little tornado of destruction, right? And can you reason with a terrible two or three? There's actually no reasoning that goes on. They are deaf to your words. Think about the nation of Israel being like this. He says, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes and our fathers and to all the people of the land. Jesus' uh, condemnation was even stronger. On Palm Sunday, he said this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stoned those who are sent to it. You didn't even not listen to him. You kill the people who are giving you God's word. So what's all the penalty of this, right? What's the penalty of the sin, of the rebellion, of the wickedness, of the depravity of mankind? There is calamity and there is a curse. Daniel says that the Lord has said that calamity will fall upon the nation of Israel, that they will be under the curse of the Lord. So what is he referring to? Actually, if in your notes, I would like you to write down Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 15 through 68. It's actually really long. It would probably take at least 10 minutes to read. So I'm not going to read all of it, just a very short snippet. But it talks about what the nation will incur if God's word is not followed. So here, starting in verse 28, the Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of mind. And you shall grope at noonday as the blind grope in darkness, and you shall not prosper in your ways. This would be very similar to what Paul wrote because they rejected God's word, so God gave them up to depraved minds. That's in Romans. So there's a big curse. Now, by the way, there's a lot more that we could talk about about the curse coming upon the nation of Israel. But I also want to focus that God does not abide with sin, that there is anger and wrath towards sin. In part, this is why we had the battle hymn of the Republic. Now we think civil war, but when you actually read the verses, the vast majority of the verses really are about God and who he is. And what's the verse, first verse, first stanza? Mine eyes have seen the glory. Of the coming of the Lord, He' is trampling out the vintage where what is stored. Grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed the faithful lightning of his terrible, swift sword. His truth is marching on. So the first verse is about the glory of the Lord, and then the anger against people who have done things against Him. God's truth does keep marching on. And as bad as it was for Israel, as bad as it was for Israel, they didn't even listen to God. Daniel, in his prayer, says, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our our iniquity and gaining insight by your truth. You know, all all all. iniquity, all sin, all rebelling, all perversion of God's truth, His word and His will, does bring shame. And our shame means that you can't hide it. Open shame means that you can't hide it, you can't cover it up. It's there for the world to see. The Lord is righteous and we're not. Now look, There's a ton more in Daniel, in his confession, that we could cover. But what I've tried to do is just give you the core essence of his confession regarding the nation of Israel. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but have any of you been thinking about our nation during this particular section? The confessions, the sin that we have as a nation. It was very prevalent. See, we ask God to forgive our nation without repentance of the nation. Isn't that kind of double-minded? Yeah, we want to continue in our sin, but hey, God just bless America. So what sins do we have? Well, they're numerous, aren't they? I think one of the greatest and grievous sins is killing the unborn and then calling it a choice. As we pray every week, we pray for the protection of the unborn, because life is precious in his eyes. There's also the whole sin of sexuality. And yes, that does include homosexuality. It includes transgenderism. Those are true perversions of God's will, his word, his design for humankind. But it's deeper than that. It also includes pornography, which uh, in a message a while ago, I talked about how rampant it is in our society and how destructive it is in our society. It also includes casual sex, which is rampant. Includes all of those things which, by the way, affect marriage. And once you affect marriage and you destroy the institution of marriage, you destroy a society. So all of these things have an effect on our society. And we need to be able to confess that because it is rebellion at its heart. And by the way, the things that I've already talked about regarding sexuality, there are a lot of people who say, isn't it wonderful There's even people who've said, I'm proud of my abortion. This is outright rebellion against God and his word. And thus it is true from Isaiah, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Now we also have the sin of racism. And by the way, I'm not talking about racism from the critical race theory, which basically says everything is racist. That I would just am a, a, a white man and, and I wore a white shirt today. Even my white shirt's racist. I'm not talking about that. I don't subscribe to that. I totally disagree with critical race theory. But I, there is racism, isn't there? And it is throughout our land in many different areas. Back in Minnesota, I had to admonish several people who were calling Somalians ragheads. I said, you can't do that. That's not what you are called to do by the very gospel of Jesus Christ. So there are things that we have to do. And by the way, none of this should be a surprise. All the sins that I've mentioned, because we are acting not from the heart of Christ, but our own heart. And Jesus remembered, this is what Jesus said, for from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. If you can't hear the sin of our nation, from what I've just said, go back and start reading the headlines. And I think we're not included in that, that, oh, it's just them, not us. Go back and look in the mirror. So Daniel comes to the Lord and he confesses, right? And this is what we should do. We should come and confess our sins, because our shame is open. In the United States, we have open, open shame. But this is important, so listen up to this. We do not confess to increase our shame or the penalty of our sins. We confess to ask for forgiveness. We confess to God to be merciful and to forgive. Remember, forgiveness is the very heart of, of Christianity that we are by God's mercy, we are forgiven our sins. And so we don't confess to increase our shame. We confess to be forgiven. This is very, very different than what is in our culture today. Have you ever heard of being woke? The woke culture in a small group I was in, in the national day of prayer in that evening, uh, I was praying about that, about how we should reject wokeness. And a woman said, so what is wokeness? What is wokeness? Well, wokeness, more than anything, is an ideology. It is that you are awakened, woke, awakened to racial and social injustice. But this ideology, the ideology has become so broad that it includes so many things. As a matter of fact, if you just include injustice after almost anything that you're promoting, you're now woke. So you have climate injustice, you have gender injustice, you have economic injustice. I mean, right? That's the whole woke movement. But this ideology has no forgiveness in it. Zero. It has no forgiveness in it. With woke, there's passion, rage, and resistance. And no matter how much you confess in this world, the wokeness movement will never forgive you. It is antithetical. I hope you can see it is the exact opposite of Christianity. That's why we have to be so grounded in our faith, because in Christ Jesus, who is merciful, we have forgiveness. We have forgiveness. That's why we don't kneel at the movement of wokeness. We don't kneel at the movement of critical race theory. Where do we kneel? We kneel at the cross, don't we? We kneel at the cross. And the message of Christ Jesus and his cross is so different than what we find in today's culture. Mercy and forgiveness. So now Daniel has a petition. I'm going to read 16 through 19. You just have 17 on your screen here. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins and for our iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake. O Lord, make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolation and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Do not delay for your name's sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. I want you to notice that throughout all of this, he uses the name of the Lord eight times. He is calling upon the nature of God. And he says, not for our sake, but whose sake? For his name's sake. For his glory. Because Daniel knows that there is no glory for Israel apart from God. None. He says this, for your own sake, O Lord, make your face shine upon our sanctuary. Look, you know what? In our nation today, a lot of people are praying for our nation, and we should. We should pray for our nation. President Trump even had that make America great again. And by the way, I have no problem with that particular phrase. I do have a problem when it's separated from God. Because without God, America has no glory. Period. Without God... America has no glory. So we must pray to God, not for our sake, but for his sake, not for our righteousness, because we have none, right? We have no righteousness. We pray for his righteousness upon the nation. And Daniel says this. He says, Lord, act now. He says, hear us, forgive us, act now, we pray the longer Jerusalem stayed in captivity, in ruins, the worse it was for their shame. So he is saying, Lord, intervene now. Hear our prayers. Intervene, act upon the nation of Israel. And that's what you and I must do for our nation because the longer we stay in the open shame of our sin, the worse it gets. So we're asking the Lord God to act, to hear us to act, to intervene now. And so we pray to Jesus, right? Jesus, hear us. Forgive us. Act now, we pray. Let your gospel be known throughout the nation, because without your gospel, there is no hope. But when people know you as Lord and Savior, there is hope, there is forgiveness, there is grace, there is mercy. Lord Jesus, Let your gospel go forth where repentance and forgiveness are proclaimed throughout our nation. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. So you have one assignment this week. It is to use Daniel's prayer as a foundation and pray for God's mercy and forgiveness for our nation. Amen. Thank you.